Amen. Turn to someone next to you. Is this on? Is it on? Okay, now turn to someone next to you. Tell them about all the places where you find yourself in a leadership role, where you're in charge, and then all the places where you find yourself in a follower's role, where you're following someone who's in charge. Just list off a few of them. Tell someone next to you. Go ahead. This has been fun so far. Wives turn to husbands say, well, I'm in charge at home. Go ahead. All right, for the sake of time, I got to stop you. But does everybody have at least one of either? Like if you're, if you're never not in charge, you're a psychopath. I'm going to tell you right now. You, you got issues, we got a counseling center. Let's work through it. Uh, <laughs> but if you're, never, if you're never in charge, you're probably a doormat. And there's things with that too. But, but most of us, I think, can figure out places where I'm in charge here, but I'm not in charge here. I'm a chief, I'm an Indian, I'm a leader, I'm a follower. Uh, these, these are the, just the common uh, rhythms of any culture, any society. So, sociology will tell you there has to be leaders and followers in every social scene. Sometimes you're both at the same time. I was, I was walking with a, a youth group of mine back in the, in the 90s through Chicago. I was from there, went to school there, so I knew where everything was, where we were going. I had 50 high school students. It was like herding cats, you know, down the streets of, uh, of, of Chicago. And so I'm barking orders. I'm just alpha mailing it all over the place. And uh, we get to this corner, corner of Chicago and LaSalle. I'm like, we're going to go up Chicago down to the, you know, the Miracle Mount, whatever. And, uh, and so I, I'm walking with my back to the, to the street, and someone says, Mark! And I turn around just in time to see the red man, you know, in the walk signals. Usually it's the, you know, the white guy. It's like blinking. We used to do that when we crossed the street. Just to, It was stupid. Anyway, uh, but when the red signal comes up, traffic's coming now. Don't cross, right? So even in the midst of me barking and yelling at everybody, here, we're going this way, all of a sudden a light became my authority, and I had to stop. We, it just happens that you're sometimes both at the same time. Uh, but, but here's what I've discovered. I don't know about you. Uh, people in general have a problem with authority. Have you noticed this? If you don't believe me, go next door to the two-year-old room because that's where it all starts, Right? I mean, early on in life, we are just, in our nature, we are rebellious. It's intrinsic. It's who we are. We just, we, we want to defy whatever is being, you know, said for us to do. And it starts early and it stays with us. I would, I would submit to you that that is a spiritual problem. We weren't always created that way, or at least in our original uh, setup. We, we were submissive, surrendered uh, to the God who made us. But then in Genesis chapter 3, that all changed, right? And everybody understands that that first sin and every sin since has, has been an, an authority issue. Because what did Satan tempt Eve and Adam with? The, the authority issue. Does, does God really know what he's talking about? Really? We he told you all this stuff about the tree, but can we trust him to be truthful with us? Isn't he, isn't he just afraid that we're going to be on par with him? Remember what he did? He undermined the authority of God. Eve bit, Adam bit, here we are, Right? And so it's no wonder that uh, children grow up defying their parents, defying their teachers, defying their coaches, defying, defying, defying. And then we become adults and we get more sophisticated at it. But we're, we're still in defiance. Now, there's times, I'm not going to argue, you know, as Americans, there's times where defiance was good. See the Revolutionary War? Familiar with that one, right? You know, don't tread on me, all these slogans that sprung out of that period of our history. 
I'm not saying we shouldn't defy uh, tyrannical rule. I'm not saying that we shouldn't rise up against the injustice in the world. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that as a culture, we've kind of made it our motto just to be defiant. We've made it all about us. Dog-eat-dog world out there. I'm going to get mine, right? Uh, uh, don't tread on, you know, all those, all those ideas and models. It's the American way. Autonomy, power, strength. I'm the boss. I know best. I saw it uh, vividly displayed yesterday. This probably doesn't relate a whole lot to what I'm saying, but I've got to tell you the story. I'm, 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 I'm sitting at the stoplight. I'm about to turn right on Gornto, or left, I guess, on Gornto Lake Road uh, at, at 60 in Gornto Lake, okay? And I know nobody here ever, like, speeds up at the yellow lights. I know everybody, you know, sees that that's the cautionary time, and you slow down and you break. I know nobody here would ever shoot through a yellow light, but... In this story, uh, uh, there's a, a motorcycle, one of those, you know, not the, you know, and uh, <laughs> and this motorcycle comes f- just flying. I, I can see him in the rearview mirror. I can hear him coming. It's like, you know, that whole thing. Comes flying through the intersection just as the light is turning orange. I mean, it is almost red. And I notice, I, I, I look, you know, just in time to see the, the visage of this cyclist. It's a, it's a female. I don't know if that helps the story for you at all, but it's a lady on this motorcycle, and apparently just before she got to this intersection, someone had ticked her off in, in, in the previous traffic situation there by the mall. Gone to, so I don't know what happened, but she was not happy. And so she's weaving this cycle just all through traffic, trying to make this light apparently in a hurry. And she gets to, she gets to the intersection Let's go of the handlebars of this motorcycle going like 60 miles an hour. Sits up straight on her bike seat, extends both of her arms, and flips the bird to everybody in traffic. I'm like, God bless America. There it is right there, right? That's us. That's us. We get mad. I mean, listen, it wasn't enough for her to show the person in front of her who was driving poorly, you know, a thing or two. She shared with everybody at the intersection at that moment her feelings about the day, right? (laughs) I was just like, there we are. There we are in our rebellious state. So let's talk about the Christian life. We all agree that that's kind of the case here in society. Let's talk about those of us who are prescribing to the Christ life. Is the Christ life a life of autonomy? Answer, no. Is the Christ life a life of submission? Answer, yes. Is that the only logical way to live the Christ life? Answer again, yes. Why? Because Jesus told us in no uncertain terms who the boss is. Today we're going to talk about that. Jesus is in charge. Trust me, Jesus is in charge. Right. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Most of us know the verses that follow what Jesus starts with here, but I want to focus in on these verses that we haven't memorized. It says in verse 18 of Matthew 28 that Jesus came and said to them, all authority. Okay, time out. How much authority? All of it. All authority. Where? Like, you know, in, in Israel? Okay, in Israel. No, he says all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay, just so we're clear, that's everywhere. All authority in all of existence has been given to Mark, Don, 
Any of you? No. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth, all authority everywhere has been given to me. And then he goes on and says the verses that most of us have memorized. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. I'll go with you. We know that part. That's the Great Commission. But did you know that, that, that commission, that, that, that thing that the church has been about for 2,000 years, it's predicated on the fact that Jesus is in charge. He says, all authority is mine. And so I'm telling you, this is what we're doing. This is how it's supposed to go. This is what we're supposed to do. He's the authority. Everything, everywhere. It's under his authority. He taught his disciples that in so many different ways. Remember when he taught them to pray? Disciples came up to Jesus one day. I think they were probably like looking for a workaround, you know, something like they could, hey, we see you do some pretty amazing things. Teach us that. When you, when you go off and talk to God, some amazing things happen after that. Can you show us how to do that? Teach us how to pray. I'm a cynic. That's how I read the Bible. Forgive me. But Jesus says, all right, I'll teach you how to pray. Here's how you start. You guys know it? Our Father, right? Who art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. That's how you start. Make sure you know who you're talking to. Our Father, that was, he says, Abba. It's personal. It wasn't this far off and distant God. It was a personal, relational God. But don't, don't, don't get too comfortable in the, in the Abba part. Remember, hallowed be his name. He's holy. He's not like us. He's set apart. That's what holy means, different. Set apart, above, perfect. So remember, just when you start praying, recognize who you're talking to, Jesus says. And then he does this incredible thing. I think the disciples were like saying, hey, how can we pray for the things that we want? Teach us how to pray the things that we want. And Jesus gets to the part in the, in the prayer where he says, well, here's how you pray for things that you want. You say, give us this day our daily bread. You don't. You don't necessarily pray for all the things that you want and then get disappointed when God doesn't give them to them. You say, God, give me what I need. Give me what I need. But that's even later in the prayer. The first thing that he teaches the disciples to pray after they make sure who they're talking to is what? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your what? Kingdom come. Your what? Will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that an interesting first line? Address God, make sure you know who you're talking to, and then above all else in any of you, any of the things that you could pray for, pray for God's kingdom to come, pray for his will to be done on earth perfectly as it's done in heaven. What an interesting thing to teach disciples to pray. Because what is he asserting? Hey, man, when you pray, pray most of all and first of all for God's authority to be present in your life. When he says for the kingdom to come, well, a lot of us can think, oh, it's this eternal kingdom. Lord, you know, speed up the calendar. Make it soon so that, you know, Jesus comes back and we get out of here. And is that something worthy of praying for? Absolutely. I'm ready to go. Anybody ready to go? I can even miss the game tonight. I'll be fine. Okay? But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in the present I am asking you, God, to bring your kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. I want to experience life the way you want it, your will to be done. I want you to be my king, not me. You're my authority, not me. Is that true of you? Oh, yeah. Oh, is that true of me? Oh, yeah. Mostly. 
Because let's, let's, let's be honest. Sometimes we're more, more than happy to be followers. Anybody got those situations? Like I'm, I'm, I'm working on a house right now, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just be honest with you. I have no clue. I have, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a total bumbling idiot, but I'm like two clicks up from just, you know, there, right? And so I'm like trying to fix things, and, and I, listen, I'm very particular about how things look when they're done. I can't get them there. But I'm also very cheap. And I'd like to do as much as I can so that I don't have to pay you to do it for me. So I have great friends who come over, and they'll say, well, here's how you do it. And I'll say, well, you, you just perch right here, and, I'm gonna, and whenever I'm starting to make a mistake, stop me, right? And I will follow your lead. I love doing it. When I don't know what I'm doing, I love following my lead. And I find that it's only in the places where I'm pretty sure what, I'm, what I know or I'm pretty passionate about what I feel in this particular area that I get all kind of bowed up. Has anybody noticed that? Like, don't tell me not to root for the Red Sox. Them's fighting words, right? Because I'm pretty sure I know who I like and, and what I'm passionate about there. Don't, don't tell me uh, you know, to do something a certain way because it's the way you do it when I've been doing it this way my whole life and it works just fine. Anybody ever had that conversation? Spouses? Right? I mean, we pick our battles, and that's wise. Why do we pick our battles? Why does something become a battle? It's because we're pretty sure this is how we want this to, this to be. And we're not submitting on this one. And we go to war, right? It's the same way with our relationship with Christ. There's certain parts where, not a problem, I'll follow you. I mean, I, some of you are so blessed out there, you don't have, there's certain areas of sin, they're not even a temptation for you. You just follow Jesus and it's like, whatever. I don't, I don't, I, I'm not tempted to become addicted to drugs. I'm not tempted to start robbing banks. I'm not, a, you know, I don't have, uh, I, I used to cuss like a sailor. I don't anymore. That's like me. I don't, I'm not tempted to cuss anymore. Well, sometimes. But, uh, <clears throat> but there's certain things that God just gives you victory over and you just follow him in and it's easy, right? But then, <laughs> come on, this side, testify. <laughs> Are there certain areas of your life that you're like, you know what, God? Hands off. This one's mine. I know how I want this one. I am passionate about this sin area. I'm a great liar. I got to where I am today because I can lie my pants off. And I'm not going to change. It's worked for me. I, I control my house with my anger. People bow to me in fear. And you can talk about how that's wrong in the Bible all you want. It works for me. It's staying. getting too close there's certain areas we're just like no we talk about it in different ways you can have all this you can't have this it's another one of those sermons here's a question we have to answer in our christian lives who's in charge here anybody ever done that been, been to like a restaurant where the service is terrible or been to a store where you're just not getting the answers that you want and so you finally ask this person who's helping you hey who, who's the manager Who's your boss? Who's in charge here? I need to talk to someone other than you. Because this isn't working out for me. Anybody been there? Yeah. We ask that question in our daily lives. We need to ask that question in our spiritual lives. Who's in charge here? Who's the manager of my life? Because here's the deal. Everybody look at me. If you don't hear anything else I say, I expect some of you might. This might be the last thing you hear. Jesus is in charge of all of your life. By default, ipso de facto, if that's what that means, uh, he's in charge. 
Now, he doesn't force you. He doesn't, well, up to a point, he doesn't force you. Anybody ever got the spiritual two-by-four across the head? So he'll be, he'll be gracious and patient with you. He's not going to force you. He's not going to make you an automaton, a robot who does his will. But ultimately, you have to understand, even if we defy him, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to find out, oh, Jesus is in charge. I wish I'd paid better attention when that guy was talking. Now, if, if, if you go through your life and you continually uh, defy God in some area of life, uh, that, that sin is going to be destruction. That's where sin leads to death. And you're going to be in the midst of that destruction that your sin brought up. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Jesus is in charge of this. And because he loves me, he's not going to let me perpetually get away with this. And it's going to come, it's, this thing's going to come back to roost. And I, Jesus is in charge. The question for us then is, are we letting him be in charge? I want to talk to you today about uh, the fact that Jesus is in charge. We're going to see three things that Jesus is in charge of in this, this next part of his story in Luke. Uh, we're going to see that his mission is uh, by far his most important uh, uh, purpose in, in coming uh, here in the days that he was on the earth. Uh, but we're going to start with this one. Jesus is in charge of all truth. And my hope is, is that we'll all submit to him in each of these areas. Jesus is in charge of all truth. Look what it says in verse 31 of chapter 4 of Luke. It says, and he went down to Capernaum. Here we go, Sea of Galilee. I'm blowing up the map of Israel. We're just up here in the region of Galilee. And Nazareth is where he was last week, okay? Some time has trans, uh, transpired here. He's gone from his visit to Nazareth, and he's settled up here in the north of the Sea of Galilee region. He's right on the coast in this town called Capernaum. And this is where he spends the majority of his time in his three and a half years of ministry. This is home base. So he's hanging out there. It's where he's going to meet Simon Peter uh, and, and others of the disciples there from Capernaum. And he's, uh, he's hanging out there, and he's teaching, as was his habit, on the Sabbath. He's, he's, he's the guest speaker in the synagogue in Capernaum. And, and everybody, it says there in verse 32, everybody was astonished, just amazed at his teaching. Bec- why? Everybody read it with me. For his word possessed authority. He spoke as one with authority. If you go to the parallel account in Mark, it says, not like the teachers and scribes. It actually adds that, that phrase. Everybody who'd been teaching in this, these synagogues before then had been basically following a general Jewish form of teaching. They just quoted others who had come before them. Now, they would quote rabbis who said this, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said this. Let's pray. They would never give their own ideas. They would never add something fresh, some insight to, to all the things that have been passed down to them as the teachers. It's kind of like going to that class and the teacher just read the textbook. Anybody ever had that class? Boring classes, right? But then Jesus comes in, never quotes a rabbi once, and he starts saying stuff that these people had never heard about their scriptures. Say what? Explaining to them. The story that God had intended from the beginning, that everything would be by faith, that everything was going to hinge on this Messiah. Last week, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, hey, that one who's going to uh, proclaim good news to the poor, uh, speak about uh, freedom for the captives, and bring sight to the blind, and, 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 and loosing those who are oppressed, and bringing a year of God's favor, that's me. This is a new message. And people are hearing it, and they're like, whoa, it's blowing them away. You've been in those services when the dude stopped talking and Jesus started talking. You know what I'm talking about? 
where all of a sudden, hey, uh, you know, somewhere in there, the, the guy faded or the lady faded into the background, and there was something more powerful. That was the truth of God through the Holy Spirit in that person coming to you, and it was like, I'm, I'm hearing this different. God is the creator of truth. Isn't that true? Jesus said himself, I am the way, the, and the life. He, I am truth. And because he is truth, when he speaks, man, it just, it's different. It sounds different. I, I pray every morning that you guys will hear the truth through me, that Jesus will speak through me, and that it will change our lives. It's changed mine. I pray that it changes yours. Just real quick on this, uh, just, and this is just your pastor kind of riffing. <clears throat> I think there's, uh, since the Renaissance, familiar with that? It's when science kind of got blown up and, and the spiritual started to take a back seat. Atheism was created essentially because we got, you know, uh, enamored with the empirical. Um, Christians have often taken an intellectual back seat to the rest of humanity. You know, we believe in something that we can't see. Uh, they think that we're kind of crazy, even stupid, for believing in something that can't be measured. Anybody ever gotten that from somebody? And so we can kind of have this complex that we're not smart because we believe in Jesus. Can we stop doing that? Okay, listen, because we believe in Jesus, we understand that the smartest thing we can do is believe in Jesus. All right? And and because we believe that God and and his son Jesus are the creators of all truth, we're not impressed by the... By the, by the ninnies, the dummies on, in humanity who discover what God's already known for eternity. Does, does everybody understand, like, all these great discoveries that have been made in, in, in history have been things that God's been like, well, yeah. Yeah, I made that. Congratulations, you figured it out. It only took you, you know. Anybody been there? It's like when, you're, when your son comes up to you and says, Dad, did you know that one plus one is two? No, son, I had no idea. I'm 35. I, that was, that's news to me. Thank you for scooping me. I'm, you know, you're 11. I was hoping you would get this sooner. Right? I called my general contractor. I was talking to my general contractor. He's a good guy, mostly. But uh, uh, he goes here. He's a good friend of mine. And I was talking to him. I, I, cause, and nobody else ever does this. No one would ever give people the impression that you know more than you really do by saying some words. You don't really know what, mean, you know what it means, but you just want to kind of be included in the conversation. No one's ever done that in here. Your pastor did, because I, I talked to this guy, and I was like, hey, man, I talked to this uh, HVAC guy. I even said the word HVAC. I don't know if I know exactly what that means, but, uh, uh, but he said, you know, we're going to have to, uh, you know, redo the spider, because this is what this guy said to me, the spider, and I, I understood that was the venting and stuff up in the attic, but we're going to have to redo the spider in my house, and, and he stopped me. He's like, what would you just say? And I said, well, you know, the spider, and he, he says to me, that's Mark, that's not a thing. That's not, that's not what we call it in the industry. I don't know who you talk to, but someone, it's not a spider. And I was like, oh. And then he, then he said these words to me. He says, Mark, that's adorable. <laughs> he said that to me. He said that to me. So now that's the big joke around the work site. You know, I'm like, all right, this is going to sound adorable, but, and then off I go. Just so you know, that's, that's, that's how our very best intellectual uh, heights, you know, the, 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 the greatest ideas that humanity has ever had, many of which I think are flawed. See, you know, stuff like evolution and things like that. Not completely, perhaps, but ah, I open that can. Anyway, uh, 
But, but a lot of the things that are going on in the world that everybody's like, I have found truth. No. You have not, you've just mined deep enough to figure out some of the things that God's known from the beginning and set in place himself. Are you with me? So quit feeling like you're intellectually lesser than. You're not. You have the truth, and it, I pray, has set you free. Let's keep going. I've got I to keep going. Jesus is also in charge of all things spiritual, and that shouldn't surprise anybody, but we're going to see an example of it here. In the synagogue that morning as he was teaching so powerfully, uh, a guy, we'll call him Jim. Sorry if your name's Jim, but that's, that's who you're going to be today. Uh, a guy named Jim who had a, a spirit of an unclean demon. Let's talk about demons. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that he calls him an unclean demon. Is there another kind? I'm not sure. Uh, but this spirit, the spirit of this, this demon that was inside of Jim, just in the midst of Jesus' teaching, right, I mean, like right now, just starts crying out to Jesus uh, in a loud voice. I mean, not like, excuse me. No, just loud. And he says this, uh, ha! <laughs> Was that, if you were going to hear from a demon, would you think that would be out first? Ha! That's in your Bibles, the word ha. Now, it's not like we say it, like at the end of a text, ha. You know, laugh, tee-hee, smiley face. This is, this is like, aha, like, whoa! I'm surprised. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Apparently, there's more demons there. And this is, a, this is a challenge question. It, it, it says, we could put it in our, our terms. It would be like, what are you doing on our turf? This is our spot. This is our synagogue. We've been running things here just fine. Ever been in that church? Or maybe Satan's kind of the pastor of that church? Because they're not really talking about the gospel. They're not really talking about Jesus. They're arguing about, you know, paint colors. But there's not a whole lot of gospel going on. Yeah. The demon inside of Jim says, hey, this ain't your spot. This is our turf. He says this, have you come to destroy us? Just so you know, uh, it says in James that that the demons believe in God and it makes them shudder. You know why it makes them shudder? Because they know they're losers. They're going to lose. Their destiny is the pit of hell. They're going to be locked up for eternity in in abomination, and they have just a set amount of time to to inflict as much damage as they can on God's God's creation. But they know they're going to lose. And so here comes the Son of God. The demons spiritually are totally in tune with that. And they're like, is this it? Is this the time? Are we done? We know we're going to lose. Is this the time that we're going to lose? And then he says something that's really interesting. He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Is he right? Yeah, Jesus just said as much uh, at a synagogue in last week's sermon. He was in Nazareth. What did the people in Nazareth want to do with Jesus after he said that? They wanted to throw him off a cliff. But here he is, a demon, and he is affirming what Jesus has said earlier. You're, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the Holy One of God. Now, why does he say that? Because you're going to see it happen again, over and over, when demons are confronted by Jesus. They... they they say, son of God, you're the son of God, you're the son of God. Uh, the best explanation I've seen in the commentaries that I've read is this, that in the ancient world, if you knew someone's stuff, uh, like if you knew your name, if, if I knew you know, Scott's name, I know Scott Rank, and I, if I know Scott Rank, I probably know him well enough. Everybody's like, where's Scott? Why is he looking right at me? Uh, if I know Scott, uh, I know him well enough to know his stuff, and if I know his stuff, perhaps I can 
blackmail him with his stuff. I have power if I know him. See every soap opera ever made. Right? And so scholars believe, like Rumpelstiltskin, anybody ever remember that? There's a story about this guy, if you can guess his name, you know, he'll weave you, I don't know, something gold, I don't know, something like that. But there's power in knowing someone's name. That's the root of that, that fable, is the power in knowing someone's name. And so this is the demon's last-ditch effort. Even though he knows that the Son of God can and will destroy him. I'm going to try everything I got to see if I can overcome the power of the Son of God. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God, and I'm hoping to manipulate you. Because I know that. Does it work? Does it work? No. Because here's what happens next. Jesus rebuked him. And he said, be silent and come out of him. That's it. I picture this guy. He's creating a stir in a service just like this. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's freaking out. And Jesus just goes, you're doing this. I want you to do this. And the demon obeys. And then Jesus says, all right, good. Thanks for shutting up. Now get out of here. And it says that the demon uh, throws Jim down uh, in their midst and then comes out of him. And then Luke says, and the demon wasn't allowed to hurt Jim. Nothing happened to him. The demon makes one last-ditch effort to destroy one of God's creations, Jim. (laughs) But he isn't able to. Why? Because Jesus is large and in charge of all things spiritual. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we've got to understand the demon thing. And I'm, I, this is a whole other sermon. But basically, understand that, that what Satan wants us to do with demons is either one end or the other. He wants us to not believe in them at all. Because if we don't believe in demons, then he, he is free to do whatever he wants in the background, and we'll never ascribe that to him or pray against him because we don't believe that the demonic is happening. So that's one of his preferences. The other preference is at the other end of the spectrum. He wants us to be so wrapped up in the demonic that we see a demon behind every tree, behind every, and, and, and we become fearful of him uh, because we're, we're so aware of his presence in, in existence. What we need to be is not deniers and not uh, fearers. We need to be somewhere in the middle where we accept their existence, but we understand it doesn't matter that they exist because there is one greater than them that exists, and he's on my team. Jesus is in charge. So when, listen, do I think that uh, Christians can be possessed? No. Too much Holy Spirit in there, no demons are getting in. Do I think that non-Christians can be possessed, even today? Yeah. I've, ex- I've, I've prayed over people like that. Uh, I believe that that's real. Uh, I believe that the presence of, of the Son of God made it more apparent in the days that he was alive uh, but, but it's still here today. Are you with me? Because Jesus' presence is in us. Uh, so, uh, are we oppressed, though, as Christians? Not possessed, but oppressed. You better believe it. Every, every temptation that you and I have, do we understand that the author of those temptations, that whole, hey, you should do this, that's demonic. That is our adversary trying to steer us away from God and his authority and towards his. Remember how, remember how Satan tried to get Jesus a few weeks ago, he just kept trying to steer him. To, hey, hey, worship me. Worship me. We'll do this. We'll do this. That's, that's how Satan works. So, yeah, you can be oppressed. Yeah, you can. You can but, but here's, listen, just so we're clear, and this is a whole other sermon, but if you ever sense that, 
you know, there's something going on, there's something evil in your life, there's an experience happening that you can't describe, I'm going to just say it's probably tied to the spiritual realm, it's probably tied to the, tied to the evil that's there, and your, your only defense, hear me, Christian, your only defense against the darkness that is against us is the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You have no power in of yourself to tackle anything spiritual, but the one who is in you is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you could ask or think, and he will crush the powers of evil that come against you if you pray in his name. That's who he is. He's an authority over all things, especially the spiritual. Let's keep going. Jesus is in charge of all things physical. Look what happens next. So they, they finish at the synagogue. Jim doesn't have a demon anymore. Yay. And he rose, uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, he, that Jesus rose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. So after church dinner, you're going to have it here in a little bit. They had it at Simon's house this day. Uh, now Simon's mother-in-law, Simon's married. We don't know her name, but apparently she's there. Uh, this mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And, and so Simon, having seen what happened with Jim... That was pretty cool. Hey, Jesus, can you help my mom? She's not feeling well. Comes and appeals to Jesus on, on her behalf. So Jesus goes and stands over her. And he, just in the same way that he rebuked the evil spirit, he rebuked the disease that is in this woman. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, two things here. Jesus made these bodies. He created all things, truth, Everything uh, spiritual, everything physical, created by God, for God. Everybody with me? So your bodies are his, his handiwork. And he is able, as the creator of you and me, to fix what's wrong with you and me. We pray for that kind of stuff all the time. A, f- a few weeks ago, I was standing up here. A nine-month-old baby named Tyler was in the hospital a few weeks ago. At the prayer conference, we prayed for him. And other uh, instances, we prayed for him. And, and we prayed for his healing. And we watched as his tests started coming back. They were fearful of strokes and spinal issues. Negative, negative, negative. All these things were proven. All the fears of the doctors were assuaged because none of these things were happening. And they would say, well, you know, he's nine months old and his body's still developing. And the human body is an amazing thing. And it's probably just overcoming all these things by itself. And we who are spiritual say, Because <laughs> we know that God answers prayer. Are you with me? So if you have someone who is sick... Yeah, someone that you love who, who, who needs to be physically healed. You pray for him because the one you pray to is able to fix that stuff. Does he fix all things? No. Because sometimes, there's lots of reasons for that. It's a whole other sermon. But sometimes it's better for you to go through stuff thing, like the, you know, the physical ailments so that you can learn things in the midst of that trial that you'd never learn otherwise. Sometimes people die. Has anybody noticed that? And so sometimes we pray, 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 and it doesn't happen. Does that mean that God's not good, that God is not able to heal? No. We always pray for, what did I tell you at the beginning? His kingdom to come, his will to be done, right? But we pray believing that God can heal. You better believe, God heals all the time, and we've gotten so good at just scientifically explaining away miracles, we don't see him anymore. But God heals. Jesus was healing on this day. When she got up, she served. Isn't that interesting? This could be a whole other sermon too. But if if you've been healed, what's the only logical thing that you can do once you've received healing? Don't get on Facebook and talk about how awesome it is that you're healed. I mean, you know, testify, that's great. But don't, don't waste time, you know, 
serving yourself, being like, got another chance, got another lease on life, here we go. No. Many of you sit here this morning because God did some miraculous thing in your life, spiritually, physically, sometimes both, and it's clicked in your head. The only reasonable response that I can give for that kind of blessing is to serve him with everything I've got. That's what this mother did. It goes on, look what it says next in verse 40. It says, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with very diseases, various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on how many? Every one of them. Didn't do that all the time when he was healing, but in this particular case in Capernaum, wasn't a sick person left. Someone found out that uh, Peter's mom, you know, uh, hey, that guy who cast out the demon in Jim, Apparently, he's got power over disease. Everybody over to Peter's house, right? And he healed them all. Demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, just like he did in in church that morning, and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus has got authority over the spiritual. He's got the authority uh, that we need over the physical. And then finally, just so we can finish this, Jesus is in charge of spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. He, he makes this very clear. Because here's what happened next. Look what happened next. And when it was day, he departed. So in the morning, morning came, everybody's healed. He goes off to a desolate place like he normally did so they could get together with his father and just you know, replenish. And he's doing that. And the people sought him. And they came to him. And they, they would have kept him from uh, leaving them. No duh, right? Like if someone comes to your house... And he can cast out demons and you see it happen. And he can heal the sick and you see it happen. We're putting that guy on lock. Is anybody with me on that? I mean, he's, he's, you're not, we're not sharing you with the rest of the country. Someone else might get sick here. We're going to need you. Remember, in their primitive understanding of things, this is, this is, this was like their magic man. You're not going anywhere. Others might have just been so thankful. They've been sick for years, lame, couldn't walk, blind, couldn't see, and this guy comes and touches each one of them and they're healed? You can't go. It's like the end of a Lone Ranger episode. You know, where are you going? Who was that masked man? What's going on? I want to I wanna show my gratitude. Stick around a while. But he says to them, he says, no, not happening. Why? Because I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. It's my mission. I'm, in fact, other parts of Scripture, if I had time, I'd show them to you. But other parts of Scripture uh, speak very clearly the fact that he did miracles, spiritual ones, physical ones, so that he could prove his message, authenticate his, his gospel. And he's like, listen, all these things, I'm glad to do them, but they have an end in mind. My, my end in mind is that everybody would hear my gospel and receive the healing that only I can give and come under the authority that has been given to me. And so I got to go tell more folks. That's kind of how we set up our mission statement here. Is there, we exist to surrender God. That's the first part of our mission. He's our authority. We exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. That's the mission. We surrender, we serve. That's Jesus' mission. He heals and provides, and then his, his passion is to spread the gospel. So here, here, here's what I want to leave you with as we go. For us, as we understand the authority that Jesus has over all things everywhere, 
if we're under authority, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we only have really two things that we could do, two missions, submit and trust. Submit and trust. With all those things that are behind our backs, here's what it's, it's time today. Submit to God's authority in those things. Quit telling him you're the boss. He is. Submit to his authority and then trust him with the rest. Now, here's, here's what that trust part's huge because some of us will submit like for an hour. Like you're, you're going to walk out of here and say, you know what? Mark was right. God through Mark was right. This is what I need to do. And you're going to drive home thinking, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And then in an hour, you're going to be like, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. Because whatever you're, you know, but like let's say it's, okay, God, I know, I know in my marriage things aren't right, and I want to submit to you and your authority in my marriage, so I'm going to love my spouse anyway. I'm going to seek, as it says in Romans 12, 18, to, to bring peace. And I'm going to do that. And then that spouse of yours is going to say something snarky at lunch. And you're going to be like, well, I tried. Because <laughs> you won't trust him with that peace process. Are you with me? Or how about, how about generosity? Eleanor and I are building a house or rebuilding a house, and I'm about to send my third child to college. Would this be a great time for God to rewrite the parts in the Bible that say you have to be generous? That would be awesome because I could use the cheddar. Are you with me? But guess what? When things get tight, when things clamp down, this is when you press harder into what you believe. You, you press harder into the one you trust. You, you lean f- further into this authority that is over you. Christ is my authority. So yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm in seasons of plenty or I'm in seasons of little. I obey God because I trust him in those things to provide my every need. Has anybody heard that one before? That God will provide our every need? Yeah. So if I submit to him as authority and I trust that he's going to take care of me, I, I walk according to the will of God. That's my prayer for everyone here. My prayer for everybody in here is that you would discover that and you'd bring it out and you'd submit to God in it and you'd stay submitted in it because you trust him and you see him as your authority. Talk about it in your cars on the way home. You're like, oh, he's never done that before. I'm telling you now. Share with your spouse. Share with your family. What's the one thing that you need to submit to God in? Let him be the boss in. Hold each other accountable. Deal with it today. Don't make it just another nice Sunday at church. Make it a Sunday that you change. By God's grace, you will. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for your authority. Thanks that we can rest underneath it, that uh, there is no power in existence that can prevail against us if we are with you. Uh, Lord, lead us to submission. Uh, Lead us to life that is life to the full because it's walking with you hand in hand, step by step, uh, into the things that you want us to to follow you in. Uh, Lord, I pray for this group of people, uh, many of them who know you and want to follow you, some who don't know you yet, uh, lead us to a life of surrender, a life under your authority. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. If you're new, I'll be over here.